This is episode number 253 of the Rising Man podcast with Chris Orozco. Whether or not something rots or blossoms is based on the attention that you give it. What is up, Rising Man community? Welcome back to the show. Jetty here for another episode of the Rising Man podcast. And I've got a wonderful guest today. Today, I've got Chris Orozco on the show. He is a shadow integration specialist, mental alchemist, mentor, and guide. In overcoming a lifetime of severe mental health problems in himself, Chris has developed his own unique approach to this work and has helped countless others. Chris's extensive background in shadow integration, hermeticism, martial arts, and Western psychology combined to form a unique teaching approach that is trusted by coaches, business owners, athletes, artists, and entertainers. His mission is to spread this work as far as possible in an attempt to bring humanity into union. In this episode, Chris and I discussed what it means to take responsibility for your own suffering. The difference between responsibility as service versus responsibility as burden. How Chris was able to go from being an aggressive and angry teenager to an emotionally literate adult, and why learning to embrace his emotions without letting them rob him of his edge has landed him somewhere in the middle. We also discussed the range of emotions we all experience and why it's essential for us to learn how to command them. Lastly, we dove deep into Chris's perspectives on masculinity, the future for young men, growing up without a father figure, and why we all need mentorship. Without further ado, Chris Orozco. All right, Rising Man family, I've got another amazing man joining me here today, Chris Orozco, coming in from Los Angeles, California, my man. I'm meeting you for the first time, so nice to meet you. Welcome. Glad to have you here. How are you feeling? Really good, man. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Yeah, we've just met 20 or 10 minutes ago, and it's been a great conversation so far, so I'm stoked to see where this goes. Yeah, we figured we might as well just press record and, and capture all the goodness that's starting to come yeah. through. Man. Um, so I, I won't waste any time. Let's jump right in. I'm going to hit you with the question I hit everybody their first time on the show with. Great. And that is, what does it mean to be a man? Oh, man, that's a great question. Uh, the first word that pops into my mind is responsibility. Hmm. To me, genuinely being a man and not being like a man child means taking responsibility for everything, taking responsibility for your experience of living, taking responsibility for the safety and protection of those under your care, taking responsibility for your your circle, your space, your life, your household, everything. And in through that responsibility, bringing everything up to the level of your values and your standards and bringing everything to alignment with your being so that you can feel good about who you are secure in the kingdom that you've built and also secure in the fact that the people that live within your kingdom are happy to be there. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I love that, man. That's a great, great answer. In fact, I ask this question of everybody who comes on the show, men and women, which is mm. it's always interesting to ask the ladies. Yeah. Um, and no one's, I've heard that answer before, something along those lines, but I don't think anyone's said that in a while, which is kind of mm. an interesting thing. And yeah, that is. I'm uh, the follow-up I want to ask you is where did you learn that from? Where did you learn that that's what it meant to be a man? Was there someone or a few people who modeled that for you? Honestly, it was through my integrative process. You know, my dad died when I was really young. Uh, I was raised by Jehovah's Witnesses, so I didn't have any male role, role models in my life that I respected and actually wanted to be like. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just kind of grew up and didn't really have any kind of father figure for my entire life. Um, and, but then I got into shadow integration and I realized that the reason I was suffering to the degree that I was, was because there was parts of me I wasn't taking care of. And it was like, okay, cool. Well, let me take care of them. And as I took responsibility for my suffering, I started to realize how much better my life got 
And then I got introduced to this kind of like part of myself that I can only describe as masculine energy, as like father archetype energy. And it was this thing in me that was capable of taking responsibility and caring for everything and everyone inside of me and outside of me. And mm. I was like, whoa, that's crazy. Okay, so let me just develop that. And then as I kept developing that and taking more care of myself, everything started coming into harmony and order. And I mm. realized I was like, oh, that's my job as a man. Like, that's what I do. I take yeah. responsibility for things. I care for things and create order as a result. So this actually is a pretty cool contrast. Um, how old were you when your father died? I was seven. You were seven. Okay. So my, my father, thankfully, is, is still alive. Uh, we mm -hmm. have a good relationship. Uh, I, I would say he's definitely one of the cornerstones of the men that I've modeled myself after as both a father, husband, and provider. Mm -hmm. And he, I would say he very much embodied what you said about being a man who takes responsibility for his family, for the people around him. Um, more of that stereotypical rock or lighthouse for the mm -hmm. family. And with, within that, I think there's a lot of things I observed about the way my dad took responsibility that's different than the way I want to take responsibility. Mm -hmm. I feel like my dad took responsibility and um, consolidated that burden within himself. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't really know the extent to which he may have shared things with his friends, but I don't really get the sense that he was doing any kind of work in depth or in like any kind of shadow you know, like exploring his shadow with his, with his buddies. I, I don't think that's what they were really into, you know, yeah, that just wasn't happening football and golf and, and that was cool. You know, that's how yeah. they, that's how they got it. Um, so just looking at that, I want to really examine this. Um, you said that to be a man is to take responsibility for everything and all of our experiences and to be and to increase our capacity to take responsibility for others. Mm -hmm. What does that look like in the unhealthy expression of that, how we take on too much responsibility or the way yeah. we take that on. Yeah. So there's two immediate answers pop up into my head, right? There's responsibility as service. And then there's responsibility as burden. Mm -hmm. There's responsibility as like, if I don't do this, I'm not a man. And if I'm not a man, I'm not worthy and I'm not going to get loved and blah, 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 blah. And there's the fear-based version of responsibility. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other version that's like, no, I care about these people. I care about my life. I care about myself. I care about the future. And as such, I'm going to create the best thing I possibly can for myself and those that I care about so that we can thrive. One mm. is like trying to prove that you deserve to exist. And the other is taking it so much for granted that you know deep in your heart that you and everyone that you care about deserve the best. And if anyone's going to create it, it's going to be you. And mm. so it gets to be this like fulfilling, meaningful act of service rather than a burden you have to bear at the expense of everything you hold dear. So that's um, that's the first thing that comes into my mind. I, I really like that. Do you do you work exclusively with men or a specific population or do you work with all types? Honestly, of people? most of my clients throughout the first six, seven years of my uh, practice were mostly women. Interesting. Okay. And, yeah, and, and today, would you say it's a bit more mixed? Uh, now it's mostly men. Mostly men. Okay. Mostly and was men. that a conscious shift that you made or did that just happen? What's the story behind uh, that? I honestly don't know, man. It just kind of started happening. You know, okay. like as I started developing my masculine side more, guys just started reaching out. Mm, interesting. Okay. You know, because you, it used to be that I was just good at emotions and that was kind of it. Mm -hmm. And so like women would hire me. And then as I embraced my masculine side, it was like, oh, being good at emotions makes you be good at everything else. 
Mm-hmm. Like, cool. What a great hack. And then that's when guys started hiring me. Gotcha. So let's pour into your story a little bit more, because mm-hmm. the fact that that transition happened kind of naturally and it didn't sound like it was by your design necessarily. Uh, I'm interested in this evolution of your of your own masculine side, going mm-hmm. coming from a background where your father passed away. Did, what was your relationship like with him before he passed he away? He was everything to me. Everything. Okay. He was so absolutely he... every. It shattered me completely. Like I was, uh, I was in third grade, or I was going into third grade. And up until that point, uh, people had noticed that I was really smart. And so I got tested into these uh, classes for gifted kids or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then after my dad died, I failed every grade from third grade to 11th. So it completely changed my my life trajectory. I was, Mm -hmm. my mom told me that my personality completely flipped after I lost my dad. Mm -hmm. I was this like outgoing, happy, gregarious kid, and then just completely turned in on myself. Knowing what you know now, what do you think you needed back then that you didn't get when he passed? I knew what I needed back then and didn't get it. And I was pissed that I didn't get it. Uh-huh. Um, I was talking to the elders of the Jehovah's Witness Church, you know, and I was like, what the hell is going on? And all they could do was read from the Bible. And it infuriated me because I knew what I needed was someone to just speak from the heart. I knew I needed some kind of actual connection and care, but they couldn't do that. All they could do was read scripture to me. And so it literally, it, it, I remember being infuriated by it and being like, these people cannot give me what I need. And so at 12, I left the religion and I was like, I'm going to go figure this out on my own because y'all don't have it. And so when, you know, how, how long was that journey? Maybe where there were a couple of milestones along that journey after you left the, the, the church oh, yeah. or the community? Yeah, there was a lot. So I got kicked. Uh, I left the church at 12 and I had a lot of problems. I was really angry as a kid. And so it started off, I was just filled with rage and hatred for what had happened to me. I like everything that the church had told me, I thought was a lie. It was like everything I'd ever been told got flipped on its ass and nobody was capable of even helping me through it or even understand what I was going through or even connect to me while I did it. And so it flipped everything I knew, everything I thought, everything I thought was going to be there for me was just gone. So I was just filled with rage and hatred and that's what drove me for a really long time. Mm. And so early on, I was uh, I was just really angry. I was like a narcissistic, aggressive, just not great dude. I would get in fights a lot. I would have like multiple girlfriends. I would cheat on my girlfriends. Uh, I would use intimidation to get my way. Um, I was just like not going to let life do that to me again. Mm. And uh, so that led to me getting kicked out of my house at 16. And uh, I graduated while living out of my car. So I did graduate high school. Um, I did it while living out of my car, which was cool. Um, And then interestingly enough, I had on the day I graduated high school, I had this mushroom experience, which was ridiculous. There was this black mushroom that none of my friends would touch. But I was the guy who couldn't be afraid of anything. So I was like, you guys are cowards. So I just took the thing and just downed it and had the worst trip of my entire life. And uh, what actually woke me up was this experience of being in my friend's backyard and uh, falling into this puddle and seeing these visions of doctors being like, oh, he's just another victim of overdose. He ruined himself. And then this image of my mom shot in my head. And I was like, I'm not doing that to her. And then I just got back up. My mind cleared up. And then the very next day, I was like, mom, we got to fix this. And so I fixed my relationship with my mom. We're now tight as hell. Um, And so that set me off to the other side of masculinity, where I, instead of being the overly rigid, aggressive guy, I was the overly soft, don't be the rigid, hard asshole guy anymore. 
Right, right. And that came along with his own problems. Because suddenly I went from having five girlfriends at a time to suddenly no women wanted to talk to me at all. And I couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. Um, and so I stayed like that for a really long time until getting cheated on a bunch of times myself had me realize like, oh, something's going on here. I flip flopped. Like even in high school, I was like, wow, I used to do that to people. Now they do that to me. That's interesting. I literally reversed the energy. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't learn why that happened until I was 26 and discovered shadow integration. And then that's mm -hmm. what helped me finally start level out. Got you. Wow, man. So a lot of fascinating stuff here. And it's kind of interesting how um, my story doesn't mirror yours, but there's there's a couple of pieces there. For example, uh, so my grandfather on my dad's side, he passed away when I was five years old. Mm. And up until that point, I had sp I spent a lot of time with him. Um, my mom would work on the weekends as a nurse. My dad would often travel for business. So at least once or twice a month, I was staying with my grandparents at their house for, you know, for the weekend. Mm -hmm. And I would spend all my time with him. He was, you know, like what you said about your father. It sounds like what my grandfather was to me. Mm -hmm. And I remember there's so many vivid memories that I have about um, when we got the phone call that he was in the hospital, um, the the little th the little bits of information that I was being fed because I was only five. Yeah, sure. There's so much that stands out. I remember his funeral. I just remember the the sadness. And I remember feeling like what you said, like the the, the, the world, like how could this happen to me? Mm -hmm. How could this happen? Why does this happen? And we weren't an overly religious family. There was a lot of religion on both sides, but my parents weren't very religious. So it wasn't like they were forcing a religious context to understand mm -hmm. death, but, there, but I, hadn't I, had I didn't understand. Yeah. That, yeah, they were forcing a context that you hadn't had prior. Oh, totally. So I, I totally. Like, this doesn't make sense. And then what the the next thing that happened is three years later, my mom got cancer. And this is bad. This is like when people are like, what's cancer? You know, and yeah. we're talking about like in the mid 90s, she got breast cancer and she almost died multiple times. Wow. And I remember and there's a couple of, you know, without going into the depth of the story, there's a couple moments where I, I recently connected it all the way back to right then and there that I felt like, OK, spirit doesn't have my back. God doesn't have my back because all he does is just keep introducing pain and hurt into yep. my life experience. And so just listening to your story and imagining I, I, that could have been me. I could have lost my mom. I did lose my grandfather. And I am I could see how that, that could have led me a different way. Now, I had a number of really great uh, men, men, masculine mentors in my life, you know, whether, you know, my dad, I had some wonderful uncles, really great coaches when I played baseball and soccer. And so there were, there were men who were there for me. And I, I, I think it's, it's really interesting to put your experience and my experience together. Cause that's so much of what, what I believe is so, is so necessary. Where yeah, so many of these men go wrong is that they don't, we don't have even the basic models for how yeah. to navigate this world as a man. Even just like be a good person and take care of your responsibilities. Like that's yeah. that's already enough. And a lot of young men don't get that. No, they don't get it. And it's, it was interesting for me because it's like I was I was an angry kid because I'd, I'd been hurt. Mm -hmm. And so even when I met the friends or the parents of my friends, their dads didn't like me mm -hmm. because I was like a bad influence. Right. And so it's like even as I grew up, I couldn't find mentors because all the men I met didn't like me. So it's no, just like none, of, none of them even tried to embrace you. None of them. I mean, it was like some of them did. Like my dad had some friends, but I don't know that when they would talk to me, I would just be like, what are you guys doing? Like, you don't really care. 
Like I, I know what really caring feels like because my mom really cares. Mm-hmm. And it's like, y'all don't have that. So I don't know what I'm going to get here. Mm-hmm. And so it was like they tried, but. And then I would just look around at the Jehovah's Witness religion and I was just like, nobody in that religion is creative. Nobody thinks for themselves. There's no real heart and soul. And so even really early on, I was just like, I don't want to learn from these men. I don't want to become them. I don't want those lives. So I remember at 12 thinking like, okay, like Buddha was some guy and Jesus was some guy and like I'm some guy. So if they figured it out, there's no reason I can't figure it out. So I guess I'll go do that. That's awesome, man. I want to circle something back to something you said in the beginning when I asked you that first question. Uh, you said that part of being a man is taking responsibility for our suffering. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I, I've I've got my own beliefs about it, but I just wanted you to unpack that a little bit more. What, what does that mean, to especially to a young man who maybe doesn't see it that way at all? Yeah, I mean, I can give you an example. It's not really going to paint me in the best light, but I think it's the most important one I can give. Uh, especially for young men, you know, like my last relationship was really rough for me uh, because my ex-girlfriend was embodying a part of my personality that I really didn't like. Like she was stuck in her patterns, didn't know how to get out of them. Uh, Everything that she was trying to do just seemed to just backfire on her. And I just kept getting more and more frustrated with her experience. And I had to ultimately end the relationship because it was like, if I keep doing this, like this frustration is going to turn me into someone I don't want to be. But the lesson that I learned from it was that it had nothing to do with her, really. It had everything to do with the part of me she reminded me of. And so taking responsibility for suffering in that context is, especially in the context of leadership, because I've noticed this with my clients. I've noticed this with my audience online. And it's just like, the people that you need to lead and the people that need you most will often be the people that resonate the weakest parts of your personality. Because if Mm. they really needed you, they'd be resonating with the strongest parts. Or if they didn't need you, they'd be resonating with the strongest parts of your personality. But Mm. by the nature of the fact that they need you, they will resonate the parts of your personality that are weak and scared and blah, 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 blah. And so if you can't take responsibility for that in yourself, the fact that you have it, And if you can't learn to love it and respect it and lead it and guide it with care and intention and integrity, you have no chance of being able to do that with the people in your life. Like all I knew how to do was bully the part of me that was scared of moving forward because I I didn't like it. And so therefore, I got into a relationship with somebody who embodied it. And I noticed myself turning into a bully. And I was like, okay, obviously, that's what's going to happen. So as I, I ended the relationship, so I didn't have to go down that path. I learned to love that part of myself and really embrace just how weak and scared I felt. And then now when people remind me of that, I'm able to be loving. I'm able to be compassionate. I'm able to be like, I know what that's like, dude. I know how scary that can be. Let's figure it out. I got your back. Let's get through this. And now the woman that I'm dating now, if she ever embodies anything like that, I just feel care and compassion because that's what I feel for the part of me that used to feel that way. So mm-hmm. responsibility for suffering is, is also responsibility for the fact that my relationship to my suffering will define how well I can lead and care for everyone else. Yeah. And, and what I'm reminded there is that uh, navigating our emotional experience is a learned skill. Yes. Uh, I've got I've got two young children. I was just talking about on a podcast earlier today with a nice. buddy of mine that um, my my daughter's four. My son is almost eight. 
And they are such great reminders of just how pure the expression of emotion can be when they, when they don't know how to put a filter on it yet, Mm -hmm. you know, and gratefully my wife and I, we, we've got the capacity to allow them to explore that most of the time, (laughs) you know, most of the time we got it. And what I was, what I was remembering about that is that learning how to navigate that emotional space is, it is, it's a skill set and it's something Mm -hmm. that just the way you teach your child how to tie their shoes, there's some mentoring and some guidance required mm-hmm. to help children navigate the emotional space. And one of the big problems is it, it seems so basic now, but I think it's good to just bring it back to the conversation that this is these are not skills that have been passed down in, in, in a legacy way. These are oh. not skills that have been passed on for generations. They, these are skills that got lost, that they fell off the boat at some point. And and Carl Jung just coined the term shadow, what, like less than 100 years ago? Yeah. Like yeah, we just man. recently even figured out that we could do this as a species. Totally. Totally, man. And so just all of that to say how important it is. And and you sound like a man who had to go on a journey to, to learn and explore that on his own. And I'm sure you've had teachers and mentors along the way. But for a lot of folks out there, you know, the, the movement is to reintroduce this literacy so that we can free up the logjam of people who don't know how to explore that emotional space. Yeah. And it's been an interesting kind of like, cause we were talking about this beforehand. It's been like an interesting overcorrection I see in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, like, uh, like I said before, I was living in San Francisco and I was in one of, I was in the biggest, longest running men's group in San Francisco. Like mm-hmm. they basically ran the city. They had lawyers and doctors and nightclub owners. And it was just like this really well integrated thing. That was awesome or at least it was. Uh, And all of a sudden, everybody started getting obsessed with vulnerability and sensitivity and safety. And it was like, okay, like, yeah, those are good things. You know, like in order to be able to navigate vulnerability in others, you need to be able to understand it in yourself. Wonderful. You need to be able to create emotional safety for children and the women in your life and any part of you that might need it. Sure. Great. Wonderful. But then that started to become the only thing they cared about. Yeah. And any kind of aggression or any kind of thing on the opposite side of the spectrum was like, oh, you're not creating a safe space, brother. Even just directness. Yes, even just assertiveness and directness. I mean, aggression is 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 one thing, but just to be assertive with somebody and have that uh, evoke a lot of uh, even traumatic responses. I've seen that in men. I'm like, wow. Yeah, the, the overcorrection, man. And, and I think that's something that was highlighted pretty well in, in your case study, right? You said mm-hmm. that you were all the way on one end of that spectrum, then you swung all the way to the other and had to, I, I, I imagine, find yourself somewhere in the middle at this point. Yeah. Or at, least, or at least to be able to go back and forth. Totally. And that's really hard to do. So like, I, oh, there we go. That's really hard. So I get why a lot of guys don't do it because that balance literally took me 11 years to get down. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's not easy, man. Like yeah. to be able to be emotionally sensitive, especially to the women in your life, without letting that consume you. You know, and like to to lead and hold that that frame, without becoming unnecessarily like domineering. Like to do both, it's like shit, man. That's not easy. No, no, it's not, and it's not just picking out the right costume to wear it's Mm -hmm. it's it's having the discernment and the listening and the capacity to 
identify, okay, what's going on in this situation? What's, what's required of me? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times I think of it as a, as a toolbox, right? I've yes. got all these different tools and the more tools that I have in there and the more familiar I am, the more time I put in with those tools, the more competent I am when I need them. And I can identify when is the right time and when, where to mm-hmm. use it. And that, that is a tremendous skill set to have. And so it makes sense. It's if, mm-hmm. if all, if I'm just getting used to pulling tools out of a toolbox, I'm going to yes. look for a hammer and I'm going to look for a screwdriver. Straight up. Not everything's a nail and not everything's a screw. <laughs> and if I only go from one to the other, then there's a whole range of nuance that I, that I miss out on. Yeah. And then there's sometimes when you need to use the screwdriver with a little bit of hammer and there's other times you need to use the hammer with a little bit of screwdriver. And so there's like all these different combinations and permutations of how the energy can show up and to be tuned in and know what to bring to to each instance while you have your own fears pulling on you and like all these different things. It's it's like I'm smiling now because I know that I've got it and I'm and I'm confident in it. But it's like everything I had to go through to get it is just. It's ridiculous and insane, man. Dude, I could I could totally relate to that, man. I mean, I, I've been involved in men's organizations since I was 17. And mm-hmm. I would say I got really deeply involved with a men's team when I was in my mid-20s. So for for over a decade. And I I just every time I think about that in the same way that you're describing it, I'm just got flashbacks of all these <laughs> really tough moments, being on the hot seat in a circle, and the guys are looking at me like, dude how can you not see what you're doing? And I'm like, yep. I don't know. I don't, I don't see it, guys. But just that that time under ta- time under tension and time on task, right? That yep. just provides those that skill set. And I know that that's why a lot of people respect me and 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 value what I have to say now because I've put in that time. And mm-hmm. there's no replacement for that experience. No, you got to be in it. You got to you got to try see what it feels like to pull out that new tool that you've never used before. I love trying to get guys to challenge and push up against each other. I'm like, dude. <laughs> Let's do it. That's what we're here for. Yeah, there's, there's up. literally nothing at stake except your your ego and yet your discomfort. Yeah, exactly. So if you don't do and it here, where guys you learn the the beauty and freedom of having their ego dissolve, like especially through like rejection from a woman. Like mm. once you see that as a good thing, mm. it's like, oh, cool, great. She rejected me. I found the part of me that still cares about that. Wonderful. I still benefited. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. like I got criticized. That guy was right. I am doing this wrong. Amazing. Thanks, bro. Appreciate you. Yeah. Well, we're already pretty deep into this conversation, but when when I asked you what you wanted to talk about, one of the things you put down was how do we embrace emotions without losing or, or letting our emotions rob our edge, mm-hmm. right? I think that's the polarity that we're discussing here. So totally. And when you're talking to a guy who's like, hey, Chris, this sounds great. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Where do I begin? Well, what does that look like? Find something that's worth being hated for Say it again. Find something that's worth being hated for. Okay. And what do you mean by that? Something you believe in so much, something that is so true to you that brings you alive, brings your world into harmony and has you understand things better. Like when you find out who you are as a person and what you believe to be true, you don't really care if people don't like it because you know in your heart what you are. And so in order to become that kind of person, you at least have to imagine something where it's like, yeah, okay, that's so true. And that's so real to me that if people didn't like me because I said that or did that or became that, then I wouldn't really want to mess with those people anyway. Mm -hmm. So it's like, cool, what is that? And that is always one of the first things I always 
guys when they're trying to develop something like this is like, find something that you'd be willing to be hated for, find something you'd be willing to kill for, find something you'd be willing to die for. If you can do those, you can have the full spectrum because it's like, there's things I would sacrifice myself to protect. And that's the sensitivity and care. And like, I would lay down my life for my niece and nephew any day, drop of a hat, wouldn't even think about it. But then there's other things like to protect my mother. I would kill someone to protect my mother. And so it's like that provides me the edge while maintaining the softness and compassion. It's like there are things I would lay my life down for on either side of this continuum. And as long as I stay connected to those, I will stay connected to why they matter. I will remain sensitive enough to care for those people that I would lay my life down for. And I will remain strong enough to do everything I need to do to provide and protect for them. And so for me, that is, that's been the entrance because I had a lot of insecurity when I was younger. And so unless it was that strong, unless it was like, no, I'd lay my fucking life down for this. It couldn't give me the edge that I needed to maintain everything that I needed to maintain. And I would collapse into the other stuff. Mm. And if I didn't know that I would literally die to protect this thing, my aggression could dominate. And so I had to feel the extremes of wanting to protect and care for. So, so that, that's a question I have. And it really comes from my own pure personal curiosity is how do you know? How do you know that you are willing to die for something, especially if it's never been tested before? Because I, I question myself on that sometimes. I Thankfully, and I'm not inviting this in, but I've never had to fight to the death to defend my family or to defend something I care about like that. I certainly believe that that's what I would do, but I, but I've also had times where I'm like, well, well I, I guess I can't really say for sure. Cause I've never been in that situation. Yeah. I think it's unique for me uh, to be totally honest. I think it's a unique thing for me because I face death so young mm. that death is such a real thing to me on such a deep level mm-hmm. that it's just like, anytime I think about something, it's like my mind goes, okay, well, what about death? Because that's the thing it uses to scare me out of everything. You know, it's like, oh, you could lose everything. This thing could die, blah, blah, blah. And so for me, because I experienced that trauma so high or so early, the stakes were raised for me. uh, So I had to dig deep to that level in order to find something that could combat that. I had to be willing to die and lose everything for it in order to anchor into it. So um, I think that's a little bit unique to me. But at the same time, uh, everybody has their own stakes. And it's really just a matter of like, what will you not allow to happen? Right. Well, that's a really fascinating perspective because I I think that that's something that we are way too sheltered and protected from is the experience of death. You know, even I'm actually surprised because I've I've had some people really close to me pass away in the past couple of years and within our community. And I was surprised to hear how many people that was the first time they'd ever been to a wake, Mm. the first time they'd ever been to a funeral. And I was like, man, I've been, I mean, the first time I ever went to a funeral was my grandfather when I was five. Mm-hmm. And I went to, I went to, you know, at least one every couple to few years. Mm-hmm. And so to hear that some people just didn't have that experience, just didn't have that close relationship with, with death, I do think is, uh, it's a disservice to us as, totally. as humans, because it's one of those things that is imminent, that's inevitable, that is coming for everyone. And we all walk around most days acting like it's not going to happen today. It's it's off in the future. You know? Yeah, but when you're faced with it so young, you don't get that denial anymore. Sure. You're just like, oh, yeah, that's very real. And that could come of any moment of any day. 
and there's absolutely nothing I can do about it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, cool. <clears throat> How do I live in that world? Yeah. And you often see or hear a lot of stories about young people who have those near death moments or, um, you know, near overdoses or something like that, that snaps them out of it. It's almost like <clears throat> needing to come close enough to the veil to, to recognize, oh, that is a possibility. And I actually care about living more than I care about dying. I I care about fill in the blank, like you were saying, right? Find something you care about more than just saying, yeah, sure, whatever, let's check out and call it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Something you care about more than sex, something you care about more than other people's opinions, something you care more about being liked, something you care more about than money. Because it's like, if you don't have something you care about more than all of those things, you don't have anything beyond yourself to be beholden to. And without that, like, that's what corrupts kings. Like, the the king that doesn't respect the law that supersedes him becomes the tyrant. And it's like, we we need something bigger than us that we're willing to sacrifice and suffer for in order to be, in order to be cleansed of all of that, to become who we really can be. Yeah. So I know another thing that we talk about this a lot on the rising man podcast and life purpose. And I mean, even, even in our, even our mission is to initiate an entire generation of purpose-driven leaders. So purpose is a huge thing. And when people, as, as we've already alluded to, you've, you've spoken about when you can identify that purpose, that thing that you care about most, then it opens up a whole greater range of possibilities. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the natural path and trajectory of somebody, you know, not necessarily what it should be, but, it just seems like it's so different. It seems like it's it's often unnatural or inorganic the way that we have to come about our identifying our purpose these days. Yeah, I mean, like, because like you were saying before, it's like we weren't even raised to think about that. You know, mm-hmm. like just a few generations back, it was like, oh, we're in a depression. We need to figure out how to not die. And then the generation after that was raised by those people. And then the generation after that, it's like, okay, now we're finally starting to even ask, what might I want to do with my time here now that I don't have to spend it purely focused on my own survival? Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting like question in time as well, that like we're the first people to be able to answer this on like a huge level. And so what I would love to see is the work that you're doing and the work that I'm doing expand so that we can create more men that know to have these conversations with their children. Because that would be ideal, you know, like if my dad came to me and instead of like, you need to be a good Jehovah's Witness boy, if he came down and be like, what makes you happy, dude? Like, I'll help you explore. Let's figure it out. What brings your soul alive? What makes you feel like being here is worth it? What gives that to you? If I had somebody ask me those types of questions, it would have been a very different reality. But nobody does. And I would love to see that be the first thing is like a generation of men learning to become the fathers that know to ask these questions and can lead their children through the process of discovery in the healthiest and most supportive way possible. Man. And that just, that always makes me think of all these teenage boys who are killing themselves and committing suicide and all of the mass shootings that are always done by young men that are always, when you dig into their background didn't have a father or they had some sort of abuse or they weren't loved. You just know that nobody was asking them those questions. Nobody was inviting them to explore the uniqueness of their drive, right? Mm -hmm. The the things that they got picked on, the things that 
they were deemed to be weird or they were outcasted for that was just a unique purpose that wanted a seed that wanted to be watered. Right. And it could have been, it could have blossomed instead of rotting. And that's to me, that's the beauty specifically of shadow work is, is understanding that whether or not something or someone rots or blossoms is simply a matter of the level of quality of attention you give it. And that like, for me, you know, like when I first started, when I first started doing shadow integration, I literally thought I had to end my life. I thought it was my moral obligation to end my life because I was starting to have these intrusive thoughts of hurting the people that I cared about. But it was all my rage and hatred that I'd repressed bubbling up to the surface. And because I knew that, and because I knew to love that part of myself, I could figure out that it was scared and hurting and just needed someone to take care of it and set boundaries so it wasn't getting abused all the time. And as a result, this thing that I thought I had to end my life over because I thought it was evil, I watched it not, I watched it stop rotting. I watched it get healthy. I watched it blossom into this thing that now takes care of me. This thing that now can anticipate my needs and meet them beforehand and has been this beautiful thing in my life that without it, I was literally going to die. And so it's like these these guys, no matter how far down they go, as long as there's awareness and as long as there's willingness, it's like you can come back. And that's something I really, really, really wish, I really want every man to know is that they can come back no matter how far they've gone, as long as they want to. And I, I get it. I get that I don't get it. How old are you, Chris? 37. Yeah. So we're the same age. I'm, I just turned 36. So... I, I know that I don't know what it's like to grow up in this world right now. You know, I, yeah. I, I got married before dating apps were a really big thing. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've, I've obviously grew up with social media, but not the way that these young kids are. And it's so different yeah, with all the high school girls on fucking Instagram and OnlyFans. I can't imagine what that's like. Oh, dude. Wild. And the fact that even with, with bullying, right. A bully used to have to say something to your face, yeah. right. Or if he's, even if he said it behind your back, he still had to go and face you at school, right? Mm-hmm. The fact that these bully campaigns can happen behind a screen is it, terrifying because it gives, yeah. it, it it raises the stakes and and the and then the proliferation of all that, man, it's just, it's just wild. And, and they can't get away from it because you go home and your bully's not there. Yeah, right. There's no, there's no reconciling that, mm-hmm. right? It's, 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 it's almost like torture mm-hmm. and yeah, man. I mean, so, so sometimes it just feels like such a a large obstacle, such a such a great adversity for that generation to encounter. And um, I've got so much compassion for it because, like I said, man, it, my my experience of growing up seems so simple. Mm-hmm. And I wonder for you know for my kids, you know, like I obviously that's you know you talk about something you're willing to fight for, something you care more than anything about. I, I want to see a world where my children don't have to grow up that way. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and it's and, that because so many of these young kids, these young guys that I talk to, it's like they're asking questions that it makes me sad to think that they even have to ask. Like you know, what? it's What's like an example. Like, is it okay to be angry? Is it okay to want to get fit? Like, I literally had a guy ask me the other day. He's like, you know, like at my school where I go to school, it's like if if you try to get fit, everybody thinks that you're like a right winger and that like you hate fat people. And blah, 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 blah. And I just, I just don't want to feel bad anymore. Is it okay for me to want to get fit? And I'm like, homie, like, holy shit. The fact that you're in an environment where you have to ask that question is, is troubling and heartbreaking to me. 
Yeah. It's crazy, yeah. man. Um, well, just while we're on that topic, man, what what would you say to all those young folks out there? I mean, um, I'm, we've got all kinds of men and women who listen to this show, but you know, the yeah. young, young generation out there, what, what do you have to say to them? I mean, because I get both sides of it, right? It's like, I understand how much shame we've done of bigger people and all that sort of stuff and how that must have felt. And I, and I totally get the need for some compassion there. You know, because it's just like there are people just like everyone else. It's like if, if you've ever I've had an eating disorder in my life. I know what that's like. And to to know what that's like is like, OK, I have compassion for you all. I, I know you're not just lazy. I know you're not just broken. I know you're experiencing some stuff we got to deal with. And at the same time, it's again, it's another overcorrection to where <clears throat> a lot of people nowadays are not even able not even able to say yeah i do have compassion for that and i don't want to be it mm. that it's okay for me to not want to be that while holding love and compassion for the fact that you currently are and that mm. dichotomy it's like people can't say nowadays i don't want to be that without everyone else hearing i don't want to be that because it's bad and wrong and stupid and you don't deserve to exist and live and feel good and all that sort of shit so they get that compute they get that confused and so the boys think like I don't want to be the bad thing because if I'm the bad thing, the girls won't talk to me and I'll, I'll never get to do this and blah, 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 blah. But it's just like, dude, trust yourself. You know, like the world is a little backwards right now. It is not conducive to men becoming men. You live in a world right now where we are in the process of correcting some stuff. And in doing so, we have vastly overcorrected. And so all of your instincts are literally being repressed right now. And so know that, know you're not crazy for feeling the way that you're feeling, know you're not bad for wanting the things that you're wanting, but also know that in your search for mentors, there will be men that will take your pain and anger and use that to turn you into a tyrant. And there will, there are men out there that see your pain and anger and will help you use that to turn yourself into a king. So know that your anger is right. Know that what you're feeling in your body, that there's something that wants to get out, know that deserves to be there, but really be careful about how you choose your mentors because the, the tyrant route will turn you against yourself and ultimately make you lonely, even if it makes you rich, but the king route will make you fulfilled and teach you how to create everything you've ever wanted while being someone who can enjoy it. So know the world around you is wrong on a lot of things. Know what's happening inside of you is right. And be careful about who you pick to help bring it to the surface. Oh yeah, man. So so well said. And thank you. The only thing I that I mean, well, that, what that reminds me of is just the importance for young people to to know that they get to decide their own story too. Mm -hmm. And that I think that's something that a lot of young folks never get told because they're mm -hmm. they're used to being told who they are, how they should be, what. Yep this means about the type of person that they are or, or their prospects of who they can become. Mm -hmm. And that at, at some point, all of those stories from all of those people that seem so important right now are barely going to be memories. Um, yeah. If you start to learn where to, how to, how and where and when to direct your attention to who you believe you are and the people yeah. who recognize the greatness in you and want to am amplify that and help you yeah. become your best self. Cause not everybody has those ambitions for you. And that's yeah, straight up. Especially nowadays when boys are being raised with the idea that it is literally their time to just shut up, shut up and listen. Mm -hmm. Like that is what boys are being taught. You don't get a voice right now. 
all you need to do is shut up and listen because it's women's time to talk. Mm -hmm. And like, that is what a lot of boys are taught. Mm -hmm. And I get where it comes from. I can even have compassion for it because I, I fucking get it. But at the same time, it's just not setting the boys up to be the men that those women really need. Mm -hmm. It's it's setting them up to be the thing that's going to hurt them worse. Mm. And they don't know what a disservice they're doing to their own cause. Yeah. That's beautiful stuff, man. Well, well, like I said, once we got going, we were going to blink and it'd be just about time to wrap it up. (laughs) (laughs) I told you that would happen. And um, yeah, man. So I love what you're sharing, man. It's I I really enjoy you too, man. We could probably do this forever. Just jamming back and forth. Um, But uh, I want to honor your time. Let me hit you with a few lightning questions and then let everybody know where to find you. All right. So what is one thing you've learned in your life that you wish you knew when you were 18? Oh, when I was 18? Uh... When I was 18, what did I wish I knew when I was 18? It's okay to have money. Mm, that's a good one, man. Yeah, no you don't have, money. like I used to live in punk squats when I was 18. You don't have to do that. Uh-huh. That's a good one. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Truth. And what does the world need most from men right now? To trust their instincts. Yeah. Beautiful, man. Well, Chris, it's been wonderful getting to experience you and, and swap information, wisdom stories here. Where can everybody go to check out, check you out, learn more about what you do? Yeah. So the name of my business is Operation Moksha, and that's the name on everything on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, email, everything. Operation, first word, operation, second word, M O K S H A. Go to my website, and that'll give you links for everything. Nice. And and just from my own curiosity, what is moksha? Moksha is a Sanskrit word that means liberation from the false personality. Oh, good one. And so Operation, I took from one of my favorite bands, my punk, favorite punk bands, Operation Ivy, who has a song called Unity, and it's about unifying everybody, everybody in the entire world. And so I took Operation Ivy, took the operation, added moksha on top of there and created my own new adventure. Awesome, brother. Well, hey, man, it's great to connect with you and get to know you. I look forward to catching up further down the road and and just watching your work grow because I I think you're more of the type of man that the world needs. So it's it's always nice to be an ally on the battlefield. Thank you so much, man. This has been a phenomenal conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time, man. It's been been great. Awesome, bro. Likewise. Be well. You as well. Take care, homie. All right, y'all, I hope you dug that episode. Chris is a powerful dude, so please go follow him and check out what he's up to in the world. And as always, please keep coming back to support the Rising Man movement here on the podcast. Much love to you, and until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.